Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 2 of the All Rise Podcast, produced by Gonzaga University School of Law. I'm your host, Ryan McNeese. I'm a proud alumnus of GU Law, where I obtained my Juris Doctorate and MBA. I'm a lawyer and business owner in the Spokane community. In this season of the All Rise Podcast, we're reflecting on the theme of Go Forth, inspired by the St. Ignatius of Loyola quote, Go Forth and Set the World on Fire. However, during the recording of many of these episodes, we weren't going very far physically because of safety measures in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. Regardless, we felt that now, more than ever, we needed to connect with our community. Many of these interviews were recorded using Zoom and similar technology, and we apologize for the audio quality. During this episode, Dean Jacob Rooksby sits down with Deborah L. Rohde, the Ernest W. McFarland Professor of Law and the Director of the Center on the Legal Profession at Stanford Law School. Dean Rooksby and Deborah talk about a topic that is top of mind for many of us right now, which is, what does good leadership look like in a time of global crisis? Thank you for listening. Stay tuned and stay with us. I am with Professor Deborah Rohde, who is the Ernest W. McFarland Professor of Law and the Director of the Center on the Legal Profession at Stanford University. She graduated Phi Beta Kappa and Summa Cum Laude from Yale College and received her JD from Yale Law School. One of the leading law professors in America and the nation's most frequently cited scholar on legal ethics, Professor Rohde clerked for U.S. Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall before joining the Stanford Law Faculty in 1979. She is the author of numerous books, including most recently, Leadership for Lawyers. And we are going to be discussing some leadership topics today on our podcast. Professor Rohde, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for hosting me. So we are living and working now in the time of the corona pandemic, the corona crisis. And I wanted to tap into your knowledge about leadership as it applies to this topic. And what do you see that the corona pandemic has taught us about the qualities of leadership that are most important in a crisis of this magnitude? Well, that's such an important question. And it's one that I hope more Americans will focus on when they cast their future votes for key leadership positions. So let me start with what the research shows about the most important characteristics in leaders generally, and then talk a little bit about which ones are really crucial in a crisis circumstance. Uh, The most important qualities cluster in five categories. Uh, First, their values, integrity, honesty, uh, trust, and ethic of service. Then personal skills like self-awareness and self-control. Then their interpersonal skills, social awareness, empathy, persuasion, vision, such as forward-looking, inspirational, and then technical competence, such as knowledge and preparation and judgment. And in a crisis situation, some of these qualities are especially critical. First, competence. People desperately want leaders who are knowledgeable and who also know what they don't know and are willing to defer to those with the necessary expertise to make truly informed decisions. Values, honesty, and integrity. People really want candor. They want transparency. They want to be able to trust what they hear from a leader and know that it's based on facts and evidence, not political expedience. 
They want leaders who are self-aware and able to put the public interest above their own. And they want vision. They want a sense that we're gonna get through this and that the leader knows how to make that happen. By these metrics, what we've seen in the last two months is I think a spectacular absence of effective leadership from the White House. And the consequences are playing out in real time with millions of lives and livelihoods at stake. And I don't wanna dwell in detail on the failures of this administration because they've been aired pretty fully in the mainstream media and the conversation quickly becomes polarizing. But because it's so relevant to today's topic, I'll identify a cru few crucial missteps on which experts um, generally agree. First, uh, the problem was the president initially dismissed the significance of the virus. He delayed efforts to contain it, even called it a hoax. He made repeated false and inaccurate statements on key issues, such as the availability of tests for everyone, waivers of copayment for treatment by insurance companies. His administration bungled the early rollout of tests, delayed calling for the nation to shelter in place, and delayed invoking the Defense Production Act to ramp up production of essential supplies, such as gloves and masks and ventilators. His absence of a national strategy for delivering crucial equipment has forced governors to bid against each other, forcing prices up and allocating ventilators based not on need but ability to pay. He's instilled false hopes and expectations, such as having the virus vanish in the warm weather, church pews filled by Easter. He, blamed, he, he placed blame for administration failures pretty much everywhere and anywhere else and claimed he'd inherited an archaic system. He explicitly said during one press conference he wasn't taking any responsibility for the problems that have surfaced. And he refused to comment on his 2018 decision to terminate the pandemic office may have contributed to the crisis. Instead, he's managed to make a lot of the conversation focus on him and what he described as his fantastic and phenomenal leadership. His press conferences during the heat of the crisis featured cabinet members thanking him and commending him for his farsightedness. Vice President Pence and public health experts at these briefings seemed obligated to praise his vision and proactive strategies, while healthcare leaders in private were expressing just the opposite. At a time when desperate hospital workers were decrying the lack of medical equipment and ventilators, Trump was bragging about the number of viewers of his press conferences and repeatedly tweeting that he was a ratings hit. And on finding out that he was number one on Facebook, he triumphantly announced that whatever it means, it represents something. And when asked how he would assess his management of the crisis, Trump told, incredulous reporters that he'd rated a 10 out of 10. Think a parody uh, from the humorist Andy Borowitz summed up the reaction of many Americans. Uh, Borowitz pictured a press conference in which Dr. Anthony Fauci told Trump that he was a non-essential worker and should just go home. You may feel fine, said Fauci, but by coming to work, you're endangering the lives of countless others. <laughs> 
Thank you. So I, I want to go back to a piece of what you said earlier uh, about a quality of, of leadership being technical competence, uh, which entails preparation. How does one prepare for something of this magnitude, for something that's so, um, is in some ways, uh, it, unforeseen, although of course others did comment about this very thing potentially happening. I know Bill Gates and others um, have, have said that this, this type of global pandemic could really occur and we needed to do more to uh, prepare ourselves. But resources being limited and, and people's attention spans being what they are, um, how, does a, how does a leader focus on this and are you in any way surprised that it does not seem to have been something that at least our federal government was focused on? Well, I, you know, I think the priorities of this administration have been elsewhere and they haven't been on maximizing health and safety. They've been on making sure the stock market is uh, healthy and the poll numbers are favorable. Um, dismantling the 2018 pandemic office was just the first in a series of failures of, of preparation. He got warnings in, um, late January um, of the significance of this crisis. And if he'd assembled experts and actually listened to them at an earlier stage, we would have responded much more effectively um, to the crisis. So of course, you know, no one could have anticipated um, this. But people, as I said earlier, who are in leadership positions need to know what they don't know and they need to listen to others who are experts in the field and who did um, sound some very early warning signs and then sounded some at a point in which those threats were truly credible. So I don't wanna make this a conversation about politics, but it's sometimes uh, discussing leadership and you're talking about political leaders um, it will be read that way. But I, I wanted to see if we could make um, a discussion or, or an analogy to uh, George W. Bush. And obviously he was president when 9-11 occurred. Um, some could probably similarly argue that there was a lack of planning and technical competence and, and preparation, ignoring um, certain security reports that were given to him in the lead up to 9-11 about the activities of Osama bin Laden. Um, but I think one thing that I recall, having lived through that experience, um, was that President Bush, in the immediate aftermath of, of unprecedented death and destruction, went to ground zero and stood on top of rubble and made people feel um, that he was in charge, that he was competent, and he was going to do something about it. We could have a discussion about whether what was done about it was the right thing. And I think that's a whole nother podcast. But um, from the standpoint of leadership, do you think that President Trump has something to learn from President Bush and how he reacted to the 9-11 crisis? Absolutely. Um, and I, I agree with you completely. We can differ on whether the government's reaction uh, was in all measures uh, appropriate, but certainly um, he stepped up at a moment when the nation urgently needed to believe um, that um, that we knew how to respond and that that um, enormously unprecedented act of terrorism wouldn't go without an effective response. Um, and I don't think that people have that confidence 
especially the people who are most knowledgeable about what's actually occurring um, on the front lines of this pandemic, that we're getting that kind of leadership um, right now. So let's talk about how other leaders and other nations have handled this crisis. Do you think that they have done a better job than the United States? Well, um, you know, the jury is out, still out on um, a lot of questions about what's worked best. But there does seem to be a consensus that some countries and in this country, some governors have handled the crisis better than our national government. Uh, South Korea, it's often noted, got its first um, diagnosed case on the same day as the United States. It immediately began a massive program of testing and tracing those who were infected and, and quarantining uh, those who were. And this managed to contain the spread. And now um, Korea has 300 times fewer deaths than the United States without even have, uh, having had to impose a national lockdown. Taiwan officials realized immediately what the needs would be for masks and essential equipment in uh, this emergency. They exponentially increased uh, production, they banned exports, and they accumulated enough of a stockpile that they can now uh, share some of these essential uh, goods with the world. In the United States, we see some state governors who are earning widespread praise for their candor, their transparency, and their empathy. The Shear in Kentucky, Cuomo in New York, Newsom in California have been singled out, um, partly because they've all been holding daily briefings in which they share candidly what they know, explain their policies, and inspire some public trust and confidence. They all instituted some unpopular measures at early stages and gave people a sense of confidence that public health, not personal political gain, was their highest priority. And they took a, we're all in this together uh, view, not just of folks in their state, but also um, in the country. Today, Gavin Newsom uh, announced that California was sending hundreds of crucial ventilators to hot spots that needed them more than, than we did. And that's an incredible act of uh, generosity uh, that I think uh, we're seeing replicated by many uh, folks in the public health community right now. Um, phenomenal leadership by some, such as Dr. Anthony Fauci, who's become something of a rock star, I think, um, and partly for his ability to hold his job while publicly correcting misstatements from the White House. And that speaks volumes about the importance of interpersonal skills as well as cognitive intelligence at a moment like this. So yeah, we're seeing some really good leadership um, surfacing. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about Dr. Fauci. And um, why is it do you think he has been so effective? Obviously, he has the expertise and the knowledge that's needed in this moment. But what goes beyond that that has been so vital here? Well. I think from the very beginning, um, he uh, displayed um, exceptional candor and his willingness to call out misstatements, even as they were occurring in the same press uh, conference, was you know unprecedented and the kind of thing that usually has costed White House officials their jobs. Um, and I think um, 
fortunately, Trump, or at least advisors close to Trump, convinced him that he couldn't just fire someone who had the trust of the nation, that he was telling it to them straight in unvarnished form. And uh, having him there was what got Trump's ratings up. And I think that may account for his longevity at this point. Um, it, it, it was people tuning in to find out um, from a really expert and um, trusted figure what we were up against. What do you think are takeaways for listeners going forward as we think about this crisis and different displays of leadership that we're seeing? Well, there are many, uh, but in the interest of time, I'm just gonna stress three. Uh, first, I think this crisis illustrates a fundamental truth about leadership that experts have long emphasized, but that hasn't become part of conventional wisdom. Leadership at its core comes from, not from a position or a title, but from a relationship. Harvard professor Joseph Nye put it this way. He said, having a leadership position is like having a fishing license. It doesn't guarantee that you're gonna catch any fish. Leadership needs to be earned, not assumed, and that lesson is particularly important in contexts where influence depends less on hard power than soft power. You can't force healthcare workers to put their lives on the line when they have an overload of really sick patients and insufficient protective gear. We don't have enough police to enforce six-foot social distancing rules everywhere. You have to earn people's trust if you want them to follow those directives and to be effective as a leader in a time of crisis. A second key point is what I've called the paradox of power. And that's this, the qualities that enable individuals, lawyers included, to achieve leadership positions are not necessarily the qualities they need once they get there. What makes people interested in getting to a leadership position and willing to accept the pressure, hours, and scrutiny that comes with that role? Well, for lots of folks, it's not just commitment to a cause or an organization or a constituency. It's also an attraction to power, status, admiration, financial rewards. But successful leadership requires subordinating those personal interests to a greater good. Individuals get to top positions because of their high needs for personal achievement. But to perform effectively in those positions, they have to focus on creating the conditions for achievement by others. Some leaders manage that transition smoothly and others not so much. Those others are the ones that demand total loyalty and who shoot the messenger who's the bearer of bad tidings. And that creates a really toxic climate. All leaders need constructive criticism and being willing to seek it and act on it is really the mark of a great leader. And finally, I think the crisis holds lessons for followers as well as leaders. Our capacity to get through this with the least risk to health and livelihood depends on the actions of millions of individuals who aren't gonna get much public credit because they're not in high visibility leadership positions. I'm thinking of followers on the front lines who are making it possible for us all to treat the sick, provide for the financial needs of others, and to reach out to help those who are most in need. And our capacity to respond effectively to such crises in the future depends on voters 
we're willing to think more deeply about what qualities are important in elected leaders. I just finished a, a, a book on character. It has a chapter on politics, and one of the um, striking statistics it notes is that 95% of Americans say character is important in a president. But what the research shows is they generally don't vote that way. Most believe that policy is more crucial. In the last election, we saw that playing out. Two thirds of Americans didn't think Donald Trump was trustworthy. Only about a quarter thought he had the right temperament to be president. And Trump's an extreme but not isolated case. Since the 1950s, uh, researchers have found that it's more common for winning candidates to be evaluated lower on honesty and integrity than their opponents. We're often disappointed by the results, but it's frequently said that people get the politicians they deserve. And if we wanna be led by leaders whose values and competence we trust, we need to register those priorities on our ballots. Thank you. I, I wanna go back to something that you said in terms of leadership being about relationships. And I think for, um, it's safe to say that, that organizations of all sizes have really been affected by this crisis. And um, we have moved from an in-person environment to a virtual environment. How do leaders of organizations build and maintain relationships uh, despite that challenge? Well, I think we're all discovering um, new skills and the capacities of technology that many of us had only um, partially realized before. So we're discovering what kinds of personal relationships you can cultivate uh, on the screen. Uh, my dean joked that she was learning how to ask for money uh, by Zoom, and I assume you're learning some of the same skills. Uh, my husband, who is a public interest lawyer, who uh, used to fly a lot and um, commuted uh, two hours each day to work, is now learning that he could accomplish some of what he was doing in person uh, over this, um, uh, by screen and keep the carbon footprint smaller as a consequence. So when we come out of this, I think there will be some really valuable lessons that we've learned about the capacities and the limitations of technology. And I think we'll all be a lot more grateful for the ways that we've learned to keep up social connections over a distance. At any rate, that's my hope and I'm um, relentlessly optimistic that there's um, gonna be some happy lessons to be learned from this crisis. Well, thank you, as are we. And it's been a pleasure to speak with you, Deborah Rohde. Thank you for making time. Thank you so much for hosting me. This episode of the All Rise podcast was produced by Gonzaga University School of Law with assistance from our colleagues at Gonzaga Instructional Development and Design. A special thanks goes to our alumni and donors who continue to support our mission of providing an excellent legal education informed by our humanistic, Jesuit, and Catholic traditions and values. Did you enjoy this episode? Let us know. Give us a shout out on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You know the drill. Or you can learn more about this podcast and us at law.gonzaga.edu. Thanks for listening and go Zags.